Hello and welcome to Living the Queen Life, a podcast by Queen of My Own Universe. I'm your host, Margaret Foley, and I am the Queen of My Own Universe. Living the Queen Life podcast showcases the stories of ordinary women doing extraordinary things and brings to you advice, helpful tools and tips and inspiration about how you too can live a life that you love. I believe that every woman is the queen of her own universe, and I'm on a mission to empower you to believe in and lean into your full potential. Think, feel, and live like a queen. There's no one as special as you. Welcome to another episode of Living the Queen Life. Today, my guest is grey area drinking coach, Sarah Rusbatch. Sarah is a certified women's health and wellbeing coach, an accredited grey area drinking coach, and a keynote speaker sharing her journey to sobriety and the impact of alcohol on mental health to global audiences. Stressed, happy, sad, angry, holidays, weekends, kids driving you nuts? Have a drink, you'll feel better. You don't have to be an alcoholic to have a problematic relationship with alcohol. Finding yourself setting rules that you'll only drink on weekends, or rules around how much you'll drink, or doing dry July and then making up for it in August. Did you know that a bottle of wine has the same carcinogenic properties as smoking 10 cigarettes? And that alcohol directly causes seven types of cancer? And that up to 20% of breast cancer diagnoses in Australia are caused by alcohol? Sarah gives listeners some great advice on how to reduce or give up alcohol in your routine, how to reframe your mindset in conversations about the role of alcohol in your life. Maybe consider getting sober curious. How much better could you feel without alcohol? I recently gave up alcohol due to the impact I could feel it having on my body, and I love how I'm feeling without it. I encourage you to have an open mind as you listen to this episode. So Sarah Rusbatch, welcome to Living the Queen Life podcast. Thank you so much for having me. I think it is such an important conversation that we are going to have today. And look, I think it's topical at any time of year, but as we come into Christmas and New Year's and a time where for so many of us, alcohol plays a big part in our celebrations and our social activities, I think this is a really important conversation for us to be having. Now, for a lot of our listeners, and certainly for me, when when I um, when I first um, heard about you, the the term grey area drinking, I was a bit like, "Ooh, what's that?" And then as I started to learn a little bit about it, I'm like, "Oh, well, that was totally me." Um, so I think maybe tell us a little about how you became a grey area drinking coach, which does not mean, folks, Sarah is not coaching people on how to drink. She's in fact going to help you try to do the opposite. So how does one become a grey area drinking coach? And tell us a little bit about your own story of how you came to this place. Sure. Well, maybe it would be helpful for your listeners if I start off by explaining what grey area drinking is, because Mm -hmm. I think for so many people, it's a topic that hasn't been discussed openly. Um, The conversation around alcohol has changed. So historically, we've always talked about someone being an alcoholic and someone being a social drinker. But it's not as black and white as that. 
because when we think about an alcoholic, most of us think, I mean, I just think about stereotypes from like Sue Ellen in Dallas and the different, you know, TV shows <laughs> and movies that you've watched where someone is, you know, end stage physical dependency on alcohol, where they are waking up with shakes in the morning. They need to start drinking in the morning. They need to have medical support to withdraw from alcohol. Whereas most of us don't fall into that category. So we don't identify as being an alcoholic, but we know that we're drinking too much. And so yeah. what actually are we? And that's where I stayed stuck in that area for so long because I didn't, I just kept going, well, I'm not an alcoholic, so I'm fine. But then we can talk now about gray area drinking or in the UK, we might call it alcohol use disorder, where we now know there's a scale. And it's not that someone wakes up one day, um, a two out of 10, and then the next day they're a 10 out of 10, we gradually start moving down that scale. So mm -hmm. I like to think of gray area drinking as on that scale, you've got one in 10, one someone who never drinks, or someone who has a glass of champagne at a wedding to toast the bride and groom. And other than that, alcohol doesn't feature in their life at all. And 10 is end stage physical dependency on alcohol. And what I mean by end stage, I mean, you've got to have medical support to stop drinking, you would actually die if you came off alcohol on your own, because alcohol yeah. is one of only three substances in the universe that the human body can die from withdrawal from. And lots of people don't know that. So that's a one and a 10. And not many people are a one or a 10. Most of yes. us sit in the gray area. And the gray area to me is about a four to an eight on that scale. Mm -hmm. So signs that we're in the gray area might include, we make rules around our drinking. Oh, I'm not allowed to drink on a Monday and Tuesday. <laughs> I'm not allowed to drink before five o'clock. I'm not allowed to drink white wine on an empty stomach. I'm not allowed to drink on my own at home. I'm only allowed to drink when I'm out socializing. Like if we've got to the point, and I can tell by your laughter that you were clearly there. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, yeah. Most of us, but, but people that don't have a problem with alcohol don't need to make rules around their drinking, right? They just drink yeah. if they want to, and they don't drink when they don't want to. So if we've got to the point where we're making rules, we're moving into that gray area. Alcohol is becoming problematic. It's becoming something we have to watch and we have to focus mm. on. Yes. Some other signs of gray area drinking might be we always intend to just have one or two and we usually have more. Um, we are noticing if there's a night that we are going out and for whatever reason we can't drink, maybe we're the driver, maybe we're on antibiotics, like whatever the reason is, we're disappointed. So um, I would find myself going, oh, there's no point in going. Like, what's, <laughs> like, for me, it, most of my social events involved going out, getting drunk. And so to me, it was kind of like, well, why would I go out if I can't drink? Of course, now I know there's many reasons that you would still go out. <laughs> so the other thing is we've started to notice that alcohol is negatively impacting us. So we've passed the tipping point. We all know about hangovers. But I think that when we start drinking when we're young, it's maybe 90% fun, 10% hangover, right? And I mean, I don't know about you, but I never really got hangovers in my, um, you know, my early years, in my 20s and what have you. But what happens is over time, we build up tolerance. So we drink more. Um, our body um, works out how to metabolize alcohol. But as we go into those perimenopause years, especially, it starts to really, really impact us. So what we might notice is that we've got anxiety the next day. Our mental health is suffering. We, it's massively destroying our sleep. We yes. um, are finding that we're putting on weight, that we, yes. I constantly had spots along my jawline, which yes. is a sign that the liver is not functioning properly. So all of these things are happening and yet we're still drinking. 
Like people, if in most in most situations, if you realise something was having a hugely negative impact on you, you'd go, "Oh, I'm not going to do that thing anymore." But with grey area drinkers, we know that it's doing all of those things, but we're finding it really hard to change yes. our drinking and to stop. Yeah. And it sounds like you're wrecking. There's a few others. And for anyone listening, if you want to go onto my website, there's a checklist of eight or nine different things that show that we're in that sign of being a gray area drinker. But I think that that gives you the overview of we've reached a point where we've got a relationship with alcohol. It's not a take it or leave it type thing. It's something that is featuring in our life quite heavily. It's having a, a negative impact, but we're still doing it. Yes. Yeah, uh, look, I'm waving all the imaginary red flags um, as you as you are talking about it. It's the <coughs> it's the setting rules of uh, I'm not going to drink um, on during the week. I'm only going to drink on Friday, Saturday, Sunday. So there are set days of the week on which I will yeah. drink, and I will only have X number, or I will give myself an allowance of how much I will only buy X amount of alcohol. And that's what I, I'll give myself permission to drink on the weekend and only have that in the house so that I, I, I have to limit myself um, to that. It's the, oh, my God, it's 5 o'clock. Is it, you know, it's 4 o'clock. Is it too early to have a drink yet? Um, it's the, uh, the poor sleep, which for a long time I attributed to other things and not alcohol. In fact, I thought that alcohol was what I would need to help me sleep um it is um yeah you're saying you know the the spots along the jawline it was the liver that wasn't particularly happy but it's the thing that I'm not an alcoholic you know because that's a label that sits really really uncomfortably with people because you're right we get this this stereotype of of alcoholics and they're either you know what you described about you know Sue Ellen on Dallas etc or we are this doing this secret drinking, you know, that we're drink putting our wine into a into a teacup and pretending that it's you know, if I'm well, if I'm drinking it out of a teacup, then people will think I'm having a cup of tea. So you know what? I'm not drinking in secret. Um I'm it's normal, right? I'm not the only person who's doing this. So if everyone's everyone's doing it, then it must be okay. Um and there's, and we'll get to it in, in a little while because I know it's a big piece of this conversation. Just the normalization, yeah, of alcohol as a part of daily life. It's gone from being that thing that would be Friday night at the pub or just on the weekend or at a wedding or at a celebratory event to now, you know, I can't wait to get home from work and have a sit down and have a drink. It's become our stress release and, and COVID, I think, you know, particularly for us, you know, I was in, in Melbourne and we were in this, you know, horrific lockdown for forever, like a couple of years. Yeah. yeah. Um, you know, and you can go back and look at the statistics and the sales of and consumption of alcohol during yeah. that period of time that it's not, so, I'm not surprised I ended up um, drinking the amount of alcohol that I did. Yeah, alcohol puts totally. on weight so fast for me. Yeah. Um, as as well, but I know for me where where I'm at on my little alcohol journey, which we'll talk about in a bit. But tell me how you became. What was the point in time where you went? I want to help people with their association with drinking and alcohol. What was that for you? 
So I grew up in the north of England. I started drinking about age 14. That was kind of what we did. We would fill soda stream bottles with a mixture of Cinzano, Southern Comfort, Bacardi, whatever we could find in our parents' mm-hmm. drinks cabinets, mix it all together, add some Coke on top, go down the local park, neck these soda stream <laughs> bottles, get drunk, kiss the local boys, go home and do it all again the next weekend. And that was kind of the initiation into teenage years and socialising. My it's like a rite of passage for teenagers, it's, right? Yeah, right. It, it, it's, you know, and I don't look back on that with any kind of regret. That was how it was. Like, But I'd never had, um, it never occurred to me that I wouldn't drink. I grew up in a house where mum and dad, my dad drank heavily, um, we, but was, but always in a fun way. I associated alcohol with fun. I associated it with socialising. My parents had lots of dinner parties. There was always raucous laughter coming from the dining room and wine being poured. And as a little girl watching that, I just had made those associations. Adults drink alcohol to have fun. Adults drink alcohol when they're socialising. Therefore, as I, when I become an adult, I will drink alcohol. Like it was just clear as day to me that that would be my path. So, and also I had a family who drank a lot. Alcohol was everywhere. My parents, I, um, my grandmother lived in the south of France where they're very liberal with alcohol. I was given, you know, glasses, small glass of wine with dinner um, from a very early age and that was acceptable. Um, and, and probably for many people that's been done in a way to try and get teenagers to go, let's just have a small glass of wine with dinner and, and not turn into the binge drinkers that many Brits do. And um, Whereas it had the exact opposite effect on me and it just kind of built my tolerance <laughs> to alcohol. Um, so a very young age I became someone very capable of holding a lot of alcohol where I had a big capacity for drinking whereas other girlfriends would be falling over and throwing up I would just be keeping on going and there's a really interesting comment on this because I listened to a podcast by a neuroscientist who was talking about the signs of when you first start drinking what are the signs for who who you can spot in a room of teenagers who's going to go on to become the problematic drinkers And he says, like, there'll be two groups. There'll be those that have a couple of drinks and they start to go downhill. It starts to make them tired. It starts to make them, you know, a bit like, oh, God, I've had enough. And then there's the other group who get more lively, more animated, more excited, more energy from drinking. And that was definitely me. Like, I got so much from it. So it only became, like, um, only became... um, likely that I would develop into using alcohol in in the way that I eventually did. So fast forward a few years, 1990s, living in London, Sex and the City were our role models, you know, Samantha (laughs) and the girls were out there drinking their Cosmopolitans, sleeping with men, you know, living this life that was just like girl power, we've got it all. And, you know, we were in our 20s. Yeah. (laughs) And and we were just trying to be Samantha, like all of us. We just loved Samantha, right? She was just stood up for what women wanted. And and having this kind of this independence, this I can treat men how I want, I can drink as much as I want, like this is the life. And so like my my drinking just continued. And I was always a, a big drinker, always, but um, but it was never problematic for me and it was never something I did on my own. So it was something I did. I mean, I socialized a lot living in London in, you know, no one drives anywhere. So there's always drinks after work. You get the tube home, um, you get up the next day and you go back and do it again because you just have a huge capacity for for alcohol. So the problem for me came after having children. So um, there was a, a big kind of a lot happened in a very short space of time. So I'd been in the same company for 10 years. I'd worked my way up. I was a director of this um, recruitment firm. I got a huge amount of um, 
sense of self-worth from my job, sense of achievement. Um, it was my identity, you know, when you've been with that same business for a really long time. So I had a baby and my I had a break from work and my husband, who's from New Zealand, said, I don't want to bring up kids in this country. I don't want to stay in London anymore. I want to bring up kids having the lifestyle that I had, which is beaches and backyard cricket and barbecues and outdoors and all of that. And to me, like who'd grown up with, you know, neighbours and home and away is kind of like the the ideal lifestyle. I was like, yes, take me there, take me there. So I was following a dream, a childhood dream, um, without perhaps really thinking through the reality. So we decided on Perth, Western Australia, we got here in 2010 with a nine-month-old. I'd left behind my family, my friends, didn't know anyone, moved to the other side of the world, got pregnant again straight away. And very quickly, I had two under two. I wasn't working. I had no family. I had no friends. My husband was setting up a business, so he was out going to work all the time. And I was lonely. And I was really homesick. And I had lost myself didn't know who I was. I was just spending my days cleaning baby sick, changing nappies, going to baby rhyme time, pureeing carrot. <laughs> and and it was such a stark contrast to the woman I used to be. And I didn't know who I was anymore. And I wasn't happy. And I am someone who has always craved female company. I went to an all-girls school. I lived with the same girls at university for three years. Like I am a true girl's girl. Yeah. And I didn't have that. I just didn't have that. So I was phoning my girlfriends in the UK all the time. I must have driven them mad looking back because I would just be like, I'd be sat waiting for it to be an acceptable time for my UK girls to wake up so I could start messaging them. And I was just, I was lost. And then I went, well, alcohol's always been great for me. It's always something I've done. Um, I'll, I'll have a glass of wine. That feels like it would make me feel a little bit better in that moment. And so that was when my drinking changed from being social to being something that was a crutch it was something I was Mm -hmm. using to avoid emotions it was something I was using to escape myself it was something I was using to shift the way that I was feeling and it works because that's the thing about alcohol it absolutely works it does what we want it to do in that moment it's a brilliant avoidant it's a brilliant um way of numbing how we're feeling um the first 20 minutes it does give you that feeling of calm relaxation euphoria Um, So why would you not do it when you're feeling crap and you're feeling lonely and you're feeling sad and you're feeling homesick and and that bottle of wine is giving you what you want? Of course, that was just like, I just kept on going back to it. Um, And it worked until it stopped working. And that's the thing about alcohol. It works until it stops working. And then the problem is, though, that for most of us, by the time it stops working and most people recall, right, they, they hate the word addiction, but we're happy to go, oh, I've got a coffee addiction or I've got a sugar addiction or I've got a Netflix addiction. But alcohol addiction still makes us feel a little bit mm-hmm. icky. But addiction yeah. is still something that you you crave. It has negative consequences and you, and you have trouble giving it up. And when mm-hmm. we look at it in that simplistic form, I was addicted to alcohol. Even though I didn't drink every day, on the days I didn't drink, it was usually because... I was saving myself for the day after because I knew that was going to be a big drinking day. And so I was very strategic with the days I wasn't drinking. You know, fast forward a few years, I've made a beautiful group of friends, but I've done that socially through alcohol. I kind of had a radar for who are the other big drinkers, who are the other people that like to drink like I do, because grey area drinkers tend to surround themselves with other grey area drinkers. 
Yeah. So that was certainly something that I was doing. Um, and alcohol became something I was doing both at home and with them. And there was a few warning bells because like there'd be messages on a Sunday. Oh my God, I'm so hungover. Oh my God, I'm never drinking again. After we'd had like a girl's <laughs> night out. And I would be like, oh, I don't feel that. I'm hanging out for three o'clock when it's acceptable for me to have a Sunday afternoon beer. Like for me, I started relying on the alcohol as a cure to the hangover from the alcohol the night before. Mm, yeah. Which again, a warning sign, right? Um, I went and, I, and then I started to get lots of negativity from my drinking. My anxiety was through the roof. I was, some days I was taking the kids to school, coming home and I had my own recruitment business by this point and just getting back into bed and playing Candy Crush all day. Like I had no motivation, <laughs> I had no energy. And like to some people, they're like, oh my God, like that's that's like my idea of heaven. Like to someone who's very goal-driven and very output focused, that was hell yes. for me. Like that feeling yes. at the end of the day of all I've done is lie in a dark room on a beautiful sunny day and stare at Facebook and play Candy Crush because I'm so hungover from the night before. And then all I'm doing is waiting for five o'clock so I can have another drink. Um, I knew that it wasn't healthy. I knew it wasn't yeah. good. Um, and then there was a couple of incidents. This was back in 2017 that I just could, was like, I had a, a, a accident. I fell over. I landed on my face at a friend's 40th, mm -hmm. cut my lip open, like just mm -hmm. things that just happened. And I was like, I need to take a break. So at no point did I think oh, I've got to stop. Like that was just like mm -hmm. the way it was like, I need to just take Silly. a break. Yeah, exactly. And I said, I'll do 21 days because everyone says it takes 21 days to break a habit. Mm -hmm. And for me, I was like, I've just developed a bad habit with my drinking. I just need to have a break and I'll be all right. So I did my 21 days and then I just kept going because I was like, oh my God, like this is what it's like to wake up every day mm -hmm. feeling positive and having eight hours solid sleep and, and having energy and having mental clarity and having zero anxiety. And being motivated to go to the gym. And so I started losing weight and I was eating better. And all of these things started happening because I wasn't drinking. So I kept on going and I was like, right, I got to 100 days. But the hardest part of all of this had been other people's opinion yes. on me not drinking, which we'll talk about in a minute. Yes. Um, and so at 100 days, I went, right, that's it. I'm not an alcoholic. Because if I was an alcoholic, I wouldn't have been able to just take 100 days off. Mm. So I clearly don't have a problem. So now everything's fine. And now I'll be a normal drinker. And I'll be someone that just has a glass of wine every day or every other day or whatever it is. I won't finish the bottle. I'll just go back to being normal. And everything will be fine. I'm fixed. Mm -hmm. Except it doesn't work like that. Um, <laughs> within two weeks, I was back to drinking the same level as before. And then what happened for me was two years stopping starting stopping starting taking breaks going back to drinking binge drinking breaks and finally 2019 April 2019 and I was just like why do I keep going back to the thing that causes so much negativity in my life it ruins my sleep it ruins I have no patience for my kids I'm not the mum I want to be I don't have the energy I'm not I just felt like I was living a five out of ten life and yet I knew when I removed alcohol, that immediately jumped up to an eight out of 10 life just by doing that one yes. thing. And so in the end, I was like, that's it. So April 2019, I had my last drink. Um, and then after doing a hell of a lot of work on myself, I kind of came to the realization that there were so many people stuck in the gray area drinking cycle like I was. And I wanted to help them, particularly women. 
Uh, there's an interesting statistic, which is the only demographic where alcohol consumption in Australia is going up is middle-aged women. Mm. Every other demographic, it's going down. Yeah. And I that doesn't surprise to, me at nah, all. Nor me, nor me. Mm. And so I wanted to be able to help others. So I got my health and wellness coaching qualification. I got my grey area drinking accreditation. And I set up the business just coming up to two years ago now, so January 2021. And, I mean, it's just been what a ride, what a journey. I've probably mm. supported now over 2,000 women to change their relationship with alcohol. Wow. And it has just been incredible, but it's just more than that. It has just shown me how much we need to keep talking about this and we need to keep sharing because we're sold this idea that a life without alcohol is going to be boring. You know, you're not going to have fun. You're not going to be able to relax. And if anything else, the exact opposite is true, as you know. And yes. so there, you know, now, now that, that, and that's where I am today with being able to spread the message that you don't have to be an alcoholic to decide to stop drinking. And a life without alcohol is really not what we're told it is. Oh, amazing, amazing. Thank you so much for, for telling us all of that. And there is so much to, to unpack in, in all of that. And as, as listeners are listening to some of your story, they might be thinking to themselves, well, you know what, I, I was never that. I was never a messy drunk. You know, I was never the falling down drunk or I was never, you know, because we don't, our dependency, like if we're uncomfortable with the word addiction, can we use the word dependency? Absolutely. Instead, you know? Yeah. And one of the questions I get asked the most is, how much were you drinking? Because people want me to say a number, and if they drink less than that, less. then they can okay. go, oh, I don't need to stop then. So I always yeah. answer that question with, the answer is not a number, the way the answer is a feeling. And yes. if you have reached a point where the way you feel after drinking alcohol is impacting your day-to-day -day life, mm -hmm. then it's probably time to question mm -hmm. the role it plays in your life. Yeah, yeah. Definitely, definitely. And I think we we all like to try to benchmark ourselves because that, that's how we normalise, um, you know, our, our own behaviours or our own reactions to things. And there's, there is the I don't want to be the one to admit that I have a, a problem, you know, in, in inverted commas. I don't have a drinking problem. But when you describe it as, you know, I have to make rules about it and it, it has this impact on me, it's like, yeah, you know, a problem doesn't mean that my life is catastrophically bad. A problem means that my life is not as optimal as it could be. So like you say, you you know, it's not about getting to 10 out of 10. You know, that my life is perfect and fabulous and amazing. It's just I'd like it to be better than what it is. Because otherwise, you know, it's almost like this this tacit acceptance that, you know, I'm, I'm settling for mediocrity and, uh, and, and, and subpar in my life because I just accept that, you know, in the same way as if we were talking about, you know, as you said, sugar, food, other substances, alcohol, um, it, it's like the most legalised addictive substance that we have in society yeah. like it's with the exception of the fact that you need to be over 18 to buy it it's completely unregulated um and i, I you know i'm sure if we went and looked at some of the stats about the cost to our healthcare industry of alcohol related illnesses it'd be a pretty staggering 
number. Oh, I, I've seen those stats for WA and it's astonishing because it's not just alcohol-related illness, it's alcohol-related deaths by driving when, mm-hmm. um, you know, when drunk. It's domestic violence. It's it's mm-hmm. other kind of, you know, alcohol-fueled violence. You know, there is so, it's impact on the workforce when you're hungover and you turn up and you don't do anything all day. It's people drinking in the morning when they're still over the limit without realising it. Like, the impact is so far and wide. And yet, as you say, it's the only drug you have to justify not taking. Exactly. Exactly. So let's let's talk about that, right? Let, let's talk about this in the context of middle-aged women. You know, as you say, that's the demographic where drinking is actually on the increase at the moment, not the decline. And middle-aged women is the core demographic of, of, of our listeners here in, in Living the Queen Life podcast. And, you know, as a middle-aged woman who I'm on, I'm on about week 10 of not drinking. Um, and it's been funny, like I just really, really quietly decided to stop drinking and almost didn't, like I didn't tell anybody. I didn't feel the need to tell anybody. I just one day went, I'm going to stop and see what happens. And this was very early October (coughs) that I made this decision and I'd cut back quite a lot of my alcohol. Like if we go back to, um, to COVID, I mean, I've never been a big drinker. I say that right and now I'm like but as you say it's just a number I and you know in my earlier days like my teenage and my early 20s you know you go out I was Samantha right I was living my best life I was doing all the drinking of all the cocktails and all the boys and all the everything because that's what you do and and I had a period of that as well when my first marriage ended um, I did go back into drinking quite a lot because I was out all the time with with other women and, you know, there was just fun and parties and socialising. And But I got to the point of going, I, I don't like how hangovers feel. At, at 40, hangovers became way less fun than they yeah. did in their 20s. Yeah. Uh, it took me days to recover from them, not a day. Um, and I became aware of the fact that, my behaviour when I had a little too much to drink, um, I I put myself into some dangerous situations, shall we say. So my personal yeah. safety was often compromised uh, yeah. because of some risk-taking behaviour that yeah. only came out, you know, I'm not Captain Risky when I'm stone cold sober. Yeah. Yeah. Give Margaret a few drinks and I am tabletop dancing. Um, yeah. There was you know, strange men when I was single and I say things that I'm later on like, whoa, you can't do that. So I I, I long ago made the decision that I would never drink to a point where I would be drunk to the point that I would place myself in risky situations or engage in behaviour that I would tomorrow regret doing, particularly in the work sense. You know, I've got people that I have known for 15, 20 years and they will say, I've never seen you drunk. And I would be like, and you never will. Because the perfectionist in me, number one, didn't want you to see me let let go of, of myself. And I didn't like how that felt. That didn't mean to say, but that was when I was with people. Right. And then I had a very stressful life and I would travel a lot for work, etc. And you know, it would be like when they know you at the bar at the Quadders Club. Yeah. 
you, you you know that you probably drink a little too much or it'd be like I would know that I could have this many drinks in the Qantas club and I could have one glass of wine on the flight home and be okay to drink when I got off the plane and drive home yeah at the at the end of the day like you know when you're measuring your alcohol intake to go yeah I should still be on under the limit to be able to to drive when I get off the plane at the end of the day but I would justify it because you know what I've, I've been working super hard. I've had a really big day. I've earned this glass of champagne or this gin and tonic or this whiskey or whatever it is. And But it was only ever just to the right level. Yeah. And COVID, then, you know, we all stopped travelling and I was like, oh, I missed the Quarters Club. <laughs> it's like, what am I going to do? But then you didn't, there wasn't Friday afternoon drinks at work. Um, and suddenly you could drink every day if you wanted to. And Zoom meetings and, and online Zoom events where um, let's all get together and drink on Zoom, that became, you know, and I organised many of those. As a leader in my business at the time, I not only organised those events, I organised those events and said to everybody, tell me what alcohol you want. And I would do an online order from Dan Murphy's and have alcohol shipped to people's homes so they could get on our Zoom meeting on Friday afternoon where we would all then drink online together um, and, and go, oh, we needed this and it was so important, blah, blah, blah. How do, how do we get oh, – so, and the other bit is now that I've stopped drinking, you know, and I don't – I'm not a big socialiser anymore. I'm, like, quite happy to be home in my own little, my own little bubble. Um, but even now when I go somewhere – or I've actually made the decision. So we're in the Christmas period, right? I've actively made the decision to not attend some Christmas events because I know that they're going to be quite alcohol-laden events where people are intending that I'm not going to be driving home, I'm going to be drinking for hours, and this is middle-aged women, and I don't want to be putting myself in those situations. And I also don't want to have to justify to people. When I say to people now, oh, I'm not drinking or, you know, can I have a – soda water, can I have a mineral water, can I have a, some other boring non-alcoholic drink, they look at me and go, oh, why aren't you drinking? Are you sick? Like there's almost like there's something wrong with me because I've now made a decision not to drink. Yeah. And the reason I made the decision not to drink was I noticed that, you know, and I was not drinking what I was drinking during COVID, which was basically a bottle of wine a night. But, hey, I'd start at four in the afternoon and I'd go through till midnight, so I was pacing myself, so that was okay, right? Mm. You know, it's mm. not like I was downing that bottle of wine in an hour and a half. But now it's like I've made the choice not to because alcohol and my body, they're just not getting along, you know. Yeah. One glass I of wine and I'm bright red and I'm overheating and I'm not sleeping, I just off one glass. And people would say to me, well, that's just probably menopause, right? Like maybe it is, but maybe what would happen if I just didn't drink ever? People are like, well, you'll go back to it or you could have a drink. I'm like, oh, I could have a drink at Christmas time, but should I? So a couple of questions. Why do we feel and how can we overcome this stigma, right, that we're making an active decision to not drink and we're not doing dry July. <laughs> I know so many people who in the last week of June literally drank all the alcohol supply in their house 
So there was come the 1st of July, there was no alcohol in our house because they drank it all in June. They struggled their way through dry July going, oh, I'm doing dry July, I'm doing dry July. And then come the 1st of August, they literally headed to Dan Murphy's and stocked up and then, you know, almost made up for not drinking in dry July and undid all their, their good work. How do we normalise not drinking in a way that I don't feel like I've got to make some excuse. Yeah. I mean, we're a long way. We're a long way from that in Australia. A long way. I was at a dinner party recently and someone went to pour me a glass of wine and I had never met her before. And I said, oh, no, thanks. I don't drink. And she looked at me and went, why are you an alcoholic? Like that is her immediate assumption was, um, white middle-class woman who clearly you know is quite extrovert and quite fun and and all the rest of it for her not to drink well there must be a really serious problem here like it it, that is just the association that that we have um a couple of things on this so number one gray area drinkers surround themselves with gray area drinkers so we end up in an echo chamber of others who will just be like oh a bottle of wine a night is fine that's what i have and now a bottle of wine a night is a bottle of wine can have 10 units in it Mm-hmm. We should not be having more than 10 units in a week. Many people are having 70 to 100 units a week by just having mm-hmm. a bottle of wine with maybe a little bit extra at the weekend. Yes. Um, yes. Like, let's not forget that. But when you're yeah. in an echo chamber where, and it's so, we, we are doing alcohol's job for it because all we do is, is market the benefits of alcohol on social media. It's happening in every Netflix show you've seen of every woman that comes in from work and the first thing she does after a stressful day is go to the fridge and pour herself That's a glass fine. of wine. Like, I really encourage all your listeners now to just start noticing the, pl- the placement of alcohol in our life um, has been clever, it's been strategic, and it's been deliberately marketed at women. In 2010, Big Alcohol made the decision that they weren't making enough money from women, and they wanted to start deliberately marketing to women. And that's when all of the pink champagne, the pink gin, the Alco pops, like all of this started to happen. And then there's been a huge correlation in the number of women um, dying or suffering from alcohol-related illnesses since the marketing spend of big alcohol to target women. Like this, it, It's no coincidence, right? The yes. correlation is there. So we have to be mindful of every time we do a post on social media, oh, my God, the kids are driving me nuts and we're doing a picture of us you know, pouring a glass of wine. All we're doing is marketing. We're doing free marketing for big alcohol. Like it, It's everywhere. It's prevalent in society. And, and, and I think the, the first thing we have to start doing is calling it for what it is. It's a class one carcinogen that directly causes seven types of cancer. And 20% of breast cancer diagnoses in Australia are directly caused by alcohol. Like, say, um, say that again. That, that's, that's really important. So say those, give us those numbers again, please, Sarah. So alcohol is a class one carcinogen. In 2019, it was put in the same category as tobacco. Mm-hmm. And alcohol, um, a bottle of wine has the same carcinogenic impact as smoking 10 cigarettes. Wow. So wow. you would never say to someone if they've stopped smoking, or oh, just have one, don't be so boring. We yeah. go, oh, well done. Good on you. But with alcohol, completely different. Um, And the reason for that is it puts, it makes people who drink uncomfortable because then it makes them feel like, well, do I have to stop? Or when we have that long held belief that alcohol means fun, alcohol means excitement Mm -hmm. and and all the rest of it, then we think that it's like some kind of prison sentence to not drink. It's like some punishment. Mm -hmm. 
Yes. And it's anything but. Um, I like talking about those dry July people. And I, mm-hmm. I used to do it all the time. I used to take mm-hmm. a month off to prove to myself that I could do it and then drink double the amount in the following month, which is just <laughs> yeah. ridiculous. Mm-hmm. Um, and so all the ways that I work with my clients now is about if you're taking alcohol out, what are you adding in? Because you can't just take alcohol out and then sit there drumming your fingers, crossing off the days until you can drink again, because that changes nothing. We have to be intentional. We're starting to create a life that we no longer want to numb from. So anyway, going back to those statistics, Mm -hmm. alcohol directly causes seven types of cancer and up to 20% of breast cancer diagnoses in Australia are caused by alcohol. But why are we not, why is this information not shared more openly? I was asked to speak recently at a breast cancer fundraiser. They wanted me to stand up and do a, a, a talk. And they were serving free flow champagne for the entire event. And I just said, I can't do it. I can't yeah. do it. How could I stand there? Like, you wouldn't give people free fags at a lung cancer event. So why are you giving people free booze at a breast cancer event? Um, the reason that alcohol affects women so much more, there's three reasons. Um, and, and it's been known since the big book in AA came out in the 1930s, there's even a passage in there that says women become addicted to alcohol quicker than men do. They've known that for a really long time. But we are the weaker sex when it comes to metabolizing alcohol, when it comes to our physical body. Mm-hmm. First reason is because men have a higher content of water in their bodies than women do. Women generally have more body fat. We're designed to store more body fat so that we can carry babies through pregnancy. We generally have more body fat, which means we have less water, which means we dilute less of the alcohol that we consume. Mm -hmm. So a greater proportion of alcohol stays in a truer form within our body. Number two, women actually possess less of the... um, enzyme called alcohol dehydrogenase which breaks down alcohol it's a liver enzyme so we actually produce less of it and that becomes less and less and less as we go into our 40s so that's why when you're talking about how alcohol impacts us more as we get older we have less of this enzyme that breaks down alcohol which means a higher proportion of the alcohol enters our bloodstream which is what makes us more vulnerable to stroke liver disease cancers um, heart conditions everything like that and the third reason is when our estrogen is higher, we are more vulnerable to the intoxicating effects of alcohol. So sometimes you could drink the same amount and get more drunk than having the same amount at another time of the month. And that's because we have fluctuating estrogen. And we never know. I couldn't understand why sometimes I could have a bottle of wine and barely feel like it had touched the sides. Mm-hmm. And other times I could have a bottle of wine, not remember getting home, not remember going to bed and feel absolutely dreadful the next day. And that is because it totally depends on how much estrogen is in your bloodstream at any one time. And alcohol causes um, circulating estrogen to increase by up to 200%, which is where the breast cancer risk comes from. Mm. So, and I share this, I'm not, as much as it probably doesn't sound, I'm not (laughs) anti-alcohol, but I am pro people having information and facts so they can make a decision as to what role does alcohol play in my life? Because I didn't know any of this. I yes. didn't know any of it, Margaret. And I would bet that most of your clients don't either. No. no. And and most of your listeners, sorry. And so it's just, I'm just passionate about people having the facts. Like when we drink alcohol, our brain releases cortisol, 
to counter the impact of the depressing effects of alcohol. So most of us are drinking for relaxation and to relieve stress, but we're actually causing more stress and anxiety because we re release yes. cortisol as a direct correlation to the alcohol yeah. coming into the brain. So that's why we get anxious and, and feel uncomfortable the next day. And then we're more likely to reach for drink again because we're yes. feeling stressed and anxious. And so we get caught in a vicious cycle. Oh, absolutely. And, you know, for, for a lot of women, you know, they've already got super high cortisol levels to start with. You know, if you are exactly. experiencing stress, anxiety, but, you know, particularly I work with a lot of women who experience burnout, which was my own, you know, experience as well. And, you know, my cortisol levels, I was on cortisol overload. And, and you know, and all of the symptoms that come with, with cortisol overload. And to then understand that what I thought was a stress relief in the form of alcohol was actually driving my cortisol even higher. Like it's, it's, it's like an oxymoron, right? It's like it's doing, it's having the opposite effect on your body of what you're intending it to have and you're right yeah. it's a lack of education I'm not anti-alcohol um you know and 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 even recovering alcoholics they're not anti-alcohol either they're just like it's not for me mm. for whatever reason um you know people can make an active decision it's it's no different to I can make an active decision like I've never touched a cigarette or drugs in my entire life because I just chose not to because I knew what, you know, cigarettes would do. I knew what drugs would do. Um, but it's the glamorization of, of alcohol in our life. It's the normalization of it um, that is the hard bit to overcome. You know, cigarettes have just become, you know, uh, that's no good. Yeah. We don't smoke. Smoking's bad for us. We know smoking's bad for us. I'm... I want to help our listeners, you know, as we're coming into the Christmas and the New Year period where there's a lot of social activities and, as I said, I'm actively avoiding some social, you know, events at the moment um, because I want to avoid the situations with alcohol. Um, you know, we're coming into this and then we're going to start making some New Year's resolutions, um, which, you know, for most of us we set them with the best of intentions and then six weeks later we've just given up on them because it's too hard. And sometimes our reason for giving up on, on the things that we really want to do is pressure from outside. Yeah. It's so how do how do you help women? What can we what advice can we give our listeners? If you are thinking of giving up alcohol, what can you do instead? I loved you said before, if you're gonna stop drinking alcohol, what are you gonna do instead? I had to go and go, well, you know, it's like I gave up caffeine. Um, you know, a couple of years ago, because I was drinking way too much of that, was caffeinating all day long and then alcohol at night. Yeah, most of my clients are the same. Yeah. Double ending it, right? Yeah. So I eventually weaned myself off caffeine because the cold turkey on the caffeine was just too much. Um, I still have coffee, but I have decaf coffee because I still love that feeling in the morning, that ritual of yeah. turning on the coffee machine, the smell of yeah. it, holding the cup yeah. and that, you know, and the same with, with drinking. So much of it is we have our favourite wine glass and we sit in a favourite place and we have that that ritual of, of drinking. So for me it's like I still use my same glasses that I love but I had to find an alcohol-free alternative that wasn't soft drink yeah. and wasn't, water because that's boring um but i could still feel that i was participating in some kind of nice special routine where i was treating myself with something that i enjoyed to drink 
but I don't know. That's what's worked for me. I don't know whether that's what we should do. But if, if, if you're going to give some advice to the ladies about how to give up alcohol and how to whether it's the, the you know the the path they're about to walk what's what's your best advice for us so the first thing i think is to change the narrative around how we're talking about it if we see it as something we're giving up then we see it as loss we feel it, it's like we're going to have this huge gaping hole in our life mm-hmm. so everything i do with my clients is around well what are we adding in so what are we gaining? Let's focus on the positives because there are so many positives. Whereas if, if all we do is sit there crossing off the days going, well, this is crap and this is boring and we just do everything the way we've always done it, but all we've done is remove alcohol, we're probably not going to feel great. So it has to start with, well, what am I adding in? Well, I'm going to use my time. I'm going to get up early and I'm going to go to the gym. I'm going to save some money. I'm going to focus on um, eating really well and losing some weight while I'm doing this. I'm going to take up a new hobby. Because this is the thing, right? I ask a lot of my clients, you know, what do you do for fun? And most of them just look at me with a blank face. Who does that? Because (laughs) what's fun? Because for most of us middle-aged women, the reason we're drinking so much is because we're raising kids, looking after Mm -hmm. elderly parents, working full-time. We've got huge pressure to look good, to make home-cooked meals, to make the book club outfit, to be on the um, PNC at school, (laughs) to still be meditating and going to yoga, to make sure our home looks beautiful. Like, the pressure is intense. Yes. And so, and, and the problem with alcohol is that we can drink alcohol whilst we're unloading the dishwasher, making dinner, helping with homework and still doing all our jobs. Whereas if I say to a client, right, I want you to go every evening at five o'clock and go and lie in your bedroom and put on a piece of music or read your book, they look at me like, are you crazy? As if I I could do that. that. I haven't got time for that. So we really have to, and this is why it's not as simple as going, right, I'm just going to remove alcohol. If we want successful long-term change, there are many aspects of this. Um, But we start with what am I gaining by removing alcohol? The first thing I get all my clients to do is write down their why, because willpower runs out, but why power stays with us. And so really get clear on the reasons why you're removing alcohol. Like I get some of my clients to do a video of themselves when they're really hungover and they talk to the video and they just say, this is how I'm feeling right now. This is why, because we forget as well. It's usually common between three and six months that we get what's called fading effect bias, where the brain stops remembering the terrible bad things about alcohol and starts romanticizing it again, because our brain shuffles through memories and wants to keep us safe and wants to remember only the good things. Mm -hmm. So it starts going, oh, remember that beautiful glass of wine that you could just have at sunset. And so it's really important that we stay focused for those that do go on longer and get through that period, um, which you'll be coming into soon. So just as a um, a little, and, and when we know it's coming, when we know it's coming it it, it really helps I love what you're doing with the alcohol-free drinks I say keep the ritual change the ingredient if you have a drink at five o'clock every day get a wine glass get a beautiful alcohol-free champagne you go on my website I've got a list of all my favorite alcohol-free drinks great um because and some discount codes as well because for for many people the alcohol-free drinks is what's got them sober um the other thing I say is get really clear on how much you're drinking most of us are in denial I would say I only have two glasses a night my glasses were goblets. They were huge. <laughs> like they were pretty much a bottle. But I would still be yes. able to say to myself, I only have two glasses a night. Two glasses. Yes. So that can be 10 units. That can be 69 grams of sugar. Like let's start to get really clear on how much we're drinking and, and, and just be, you know, be, be aware of it. It's interesting yeah. what you say about not socializing. Like 
I think in the early days, it's really important that we get clear on what we will go to and what we won't go to. Like now I can go to anything. It just doesn't bother me. But at the beginning, there were certain things I just didn't want to go to because I knew that the pressure would be high. People were not used to sober Sarah yet. Mm -hmm. They still thought that they could twist my arm and find a way to get me to have a drink. Um, If the focus of everyone there was to get drunk, it's kind of not that fun if you're not drinking. Like Mm -hmm. I would say even now, if it's a group of, girlfriends going out just wanting to get wrecked I just won't go like a, no like judgment from my part I was would have been leading the way back in the day but for me now to go and sit with a group of people whose sole intention is just writing themselves off it's yeah. kind of not that much fun or I'll go for an hour and then when it starts to get messy I'll go yes. home but I will yes. still make sure that you've got to make sure you still have connection with the people you love so making sure that you're still planning things you're going for walks you're going for lunches you're going for breakfast you go into the theater you're still doing stuff with your people but it's just not always focusing around alcohol um, yes. is another one and then the other thing I would say is join a community because we talked about that echo chamber they mm-hmm. say that you're the sum of the five people you spend most of your time with if most of the people in your life get smashed most nights it's going to be really hard for you at the beginning especially to break free of that so that's why I run alcohol-free challenges that are women-only challenges because having the support of a group of women you've never met but my goodness do these women become close with each other and they'll be from all over the world knowing that you're all doing it together and you're supporting each other and you're sharing with each other makes such a difference um and maybe your listeners might, well, I've got a free community on Facebook called the Women's Wellbeing Collective. It's got 12,500 women in it from all over the world who are sober curious. Some are, some are alcohol free, some are starting to consider it. Um, but there's so much sharing, there's so much information in that group that people can really start to, to immerse themselves and expose themselves to a different kind of conversation, which is, I'm a year alcohol free and this is what's been great for me. These are the benefits in my life because we don't often hear that. All we have being sold to us constantly is your life will be better if you drink. But in, so starting to expose yourself to women who are out there going, I'm the same as you. I used to drink like you. I've removed alcohol and my life is so much better. Makes such a difference. There's also some great books out there, some podcasts. You know, start to just get sober curious, which is a term that's out there now about people who are becoming curious about what a life without alcohol might be like. And and I say to all of my clients when they take a break, you don't have to do this forever. It's just about taking a month off. Come with me, join the challenge. Let me support you. Let me inform you. Let me educate you. Let me give you the the tips and the hacks that really helped me at the beginning to not see it as a prison sentence and to see it as something that you're gaining. And then when you've taken a break from alcohol, you get to go, well, which version of me do I like better? Which version of my life do I like better? What works for me? But you don't have to be an alcoholic to decide to remove alcohol. You can just get to that point where you realize it's taking more than it's giving. It's affecting your sleep, your weight, your mental well-being, your energy, the mum that you want to be, the worker that you want to be, the wife that you want to be. If it's affecting those things, it's okay to say, right, am I done with alcohol? What's the role it's playing in my life? And maybe get curious about what life might be like without it, because we get one precious life and it's short. And if we only ever do it one way, we never get to know what it might be like on the other side. Absolutely. Oh, I love that. I just That's just so powerful and so important. And I, I love that about, you know, get clear about your why. And, and we, we talk about that in everything else. Like, you know, as, as coaches, we talk to people about, you know, what's your why and you've got to be clear about your why and your purpose. Whereas with alcohol, it's sort of like, oh, well, I should give it up. I shouldn't drink. 
But if we get clear about our why and we remind ourselves of our why and the, and the notion of just getting curious about it, you know, yeah. it doesn't have to be this, that's it, right, I'm never, ever drinking again for my whole entire life. It just might be, you know, I'm just curious about what exactly. it means, what it can look like, how I might feel. Nothing has to be forever. You can, if you wanted to, you can make whatever decision for your life that you want to, but start by just getting curious about what it what it could be. Uh, we will put the link um, in the show notes for your Facebook group, so the Women's Wellbeing Collective. Uh, yeah. I think it's incredibly important for women to find like-minded women. You know, in the same way as you said, we gravitate to women, you know, who who think about life and think about drinking and think about socialising in the same way as we do. If we want to get curious and potentially go on a different journey, we've got to find people who can support us um, in yeah. that. That goes for anything that we want to be doing. Anytime we want to go and start a new habit, we need support to do it. Our minds will try to convince us that, even though our body knows it's better for us, our mind is like, what are you doing? Yeah. Like, you know, because your mind is there to keep you safe and suddenly you're going to go and make this momentous change that your mind is sort of like, oh, we, we don't do change here. Let me let me pull you um, yeah. back into this. And I think it's also also then just about having the courage of your convictions to be able to say, I'm doing this because I want to. You know, that's something I'm experiencing at the moment is I, do, I shouldn't have to have a reason why I'm, I'm, why I'm choosing to be sober curious right now. I shouldn't have to say my body likes it better and I was getting hot flushes or I was getting like, what if I just went, you know what, I'm just curious to see what a life without alcohol looks like for me and whether that's a better whether that makes me feel better than what I did. It's no different to, you know, I recently gave up sugar. God, that was harder than giving up alcohol, let me tell you. I know. You know, sugar was biting my ass every day for weeks. Yeah. You know, alcohol didn't bite my ass and give me headaches and give me massive cravings when I decided that, okay, I just won't drink this weekend. Okay, cool. Let's see how that goes. And then it was two weekends and it was three weekends. And then every now and then I opened the the bar fridge at home, you know, and it's now full of mineral water. (laughs) Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. But sometimes it would be like, oh, just have one. Hmm. It's just one. It's never yeah, just one. Like, that's the thing for most grey area drinkers. And I always just say, just play it forward. Is it going to just be one? Mm. You know, like, when was it ever just one? Yeah. Because for most and then of I'm us, kind of like, was. you know what, maybe I could limit myself to one, but then, like, actually, what's the point? But why? But why? Why do we even just need one? And, and I love what you say, you know, about we, oh, but I only had two glasses. Like, sometimes, you know, when you go out to a restaurant and they pour you a glass of wine and you're like, what is that? Exactly. That is like Thimble. a sip. <laughs> yeah. Like you, I'm getting ripped off here. That is not a glass of wine. You could actually, totally. that is, that is a standard pour. That is a serve. So when you realize that a, what we would pour for ourselves at home, it is, you know, one and a half, one and three quarters, twice a yeah. standard serve of alcohol, then you kind of go, oof, you know, suddenly one bottle is like, it's three glasses. Yeah. But I yeah. had three glasses of wine, you know. Um, yeah. I think I think there's some really, really powerful takeaways in there for, for women. Um, so you mentioned your your challenges um, that you do. Tell us a little more about those and how women might want to get involved in those. 
Yeah, so I, my next one will start on the 8th of January um, and it's 30 days. And I say, see it as an experiment because my God, is it so much easier when you're doing it with other women and you have got someone offering you resources, support. So every day I show up live and I will give you tips on how alcohol is impacting your sleep, how it impacts anxiety, how to manage cravings, how to manage other people's peer pressure, how to, what do you do if your partner still drinks and you want to start? Like every day there's a talk on, on a different topic for the 30 days. We have weekly Zooms um, and we have a support group with daily accountability. And every day you go into the group and you put your hand up and you go, yep, yeah, I didn't drink last night because that at the beginning is what it's all about. And, and, and it's just see it as an experiment. See mm -hmm. it as you giving yourself the chance because most people have never taken a long enough break from alcohol to know what their life might be like without it because it's everywhere. I've done half marathons yes. where I've been given a glass of wine at the finish line. I've done yoga <laughs> classes where I've been given a glass of champagne at the end of the yoga class. Like alcohol is everywhere. And we don't even realize how much it's ingrained in our lifestyle, in our consciousness. And so just giving yourself that break and doing that experiment, doing it alongside a group of other like-minded women. Mm -hmm. um, the group is truly, truly wonderful. Um, and I think in the last January one, we had over 400 women in there supporting, sharing, connecting. Um, and, and I'm expecting it to be the same this year. And so jump onto the website. It's, um, it, the, the challenge is $3 a day and you get so much for that. And even if your goal is not to stay off the booze forever, which for most of us, it, it isn't, I can guarantee you that you will get information and resources over the course of this month that will change your relationship with alcohol forever. Yeah. Yeah, and I think that's a really important point is, you know, we're not necessarily advocating an alcohol-free life and giving. No. It's about having boundaries and a healthy yeah. relationship with it and removing the dependency or, or the the subtle addiction that we don't want to admit that we have, that it becomes a, a, a choice that we can make with full awareness and full facts and then totally. be able to go, at least I know what I'm doing and, totally. and I'm empowered rather than disempowering myself by giving over my control of how I feel or it's the I, I'm giving alcohol the power to make me feel better versus I'm taking back my power and making those decisions um, for yeah. myself. So, yeah. so we'll pop the link to uh, the Facebook group in there. So, Sarah, your website is uh, all the W's at sarahrusbatch.com. That's S A R A H. R-U-S-B-A-T-C-H, sarahrusbatch.com, where they can find all the information about you, your programs, your challenges. Um, and I know you've got some fabulous resources um, on there as well. So we'll also put that link into the show notes um, for everybody um, to go and take a read and visit your website. Sarah, thank you so much for coming and having this really important conversation with us today. Appreciate your time. And I have no doubt that our listeners will take away some pretty key messages from you today. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you for listening to Living the Queen Life podcast. You can join in on the conversation at Queen of My Own Universe on Facebook. Queen of My Own Universe 1 on Instagram or visit the website at www.queenofmyownuniverse.com. Please join me again soon and in the meantime, keep on living your best queen life.